Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, Jesus rolls up to this pool of Bethesda, and recently I got a chance to go to Israel. I went to Jerusalem, and man, I, if you are thinking about just, you know, a kiddie pool or an Olympic-sized pool, you got the wrong image in your mind. This pool was multiple football fields long. We went to the pool of Bethesda, and it is a massive pool. And one of the reasons that uh, uh, the man is there at the pool is because the pool is situated in such a place that anybody traveling to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, anybody traveling to the temple had to pass by this pool. Now, I want to switch up your theology a little bit. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball uh, because you would think that if Jesus is going to show up to a massive pool, multiple football fields long, he was going to show up to a pool where there are thousands, literally thousands of sick people that Jesus would walk into the pool and like Oprah tell everybody everybody healed today you get a healing you get a healing you get it right I would think that if Jesus is gonna show up to the fourth floor of like a hospital he would just heal everybody but no not this Jesus Jesus in order to heal this one man has to walk over all types of sick people just to heal one man. Now, I don't know if that makes you feel uncomfortable, but it definitely makes me feel a little uncomfortable. So I'm like, Jesus, why you ain't heal everybody? Why would you single out this one man? And Jesus begins to go, ah, because the, the blessing is not just in the healing. It's in the conversation that I had with this man. If we unpack the conversation then that means everybody can be healed if we begin to exegete exactly what happened. So here we go. The first thing that Jesus says to this man is, do you want to be healed? Not are you sick? Not are you paralyzed? Not do you have a problem? But do you want to be healed? Do you desire to be healed? Because the pool was in a perfect place for this man who had been paralyzed and broken for 38 years, to beg for money for everybody who passed by. So Jesus is actually not asking a dumb question. Jesus is asking a very significant question. He's saying, are you ready for the responsibility that comes with being a healed individual? Ooh. This section of the room, rock with me. Y'all ain't rocking with me. Okay, come on. Are you ready for the level of responsibility? that comes with being healed. Because as long as you're not healed, you can blame your mama, you can blame your uncle, you can blame the government, you can blame white people, uh-oh. You can blame all kinds of people for why you aren't where you should be in life. But Jesus rolls up and says, whoa, 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 do you want, do you want all the consequences of being healed? Do you want all of the ramifications of being healed? Do you want all the responsibility of being healed? Okay, okay, how can I say it to all the millennials in the room? Okay, here we go. See, if you were to actually be at World Overcomers long enough and stay here and God would heal you of all your insecurities, you wouldn't have a reason for why you keep st dating stupid people. <laughs> if God would heal you of your actual daddy issues, then you would no longer have a finger to blame for the dumb dude that you date. You would actually have to go, man, now that I'm healed, I'm going to have to get off Tinder. Uh-oh. Now that I'm healed, 
See, think about what this man is going to have to do. Jesus is going to heal this man, but Jesus does not want uh, anybody to blame him for healing them. Because the man is going to have to go get a job. This layman chilling at this pool ain't had a job in 38 years. For 38 years, people have been giving him money. For 38 years, people have been moving him around. For 38 years, he's been dependent. For 38 years, he's been able to blame people and nobody's challenged him. For 38 years, he's been surrounded with people with his same dysfunction. Because who you surround yourself with says more about you than it says about them. If all of your friends are paralyzed, it means you see yourself as paralyzed. If all of your friends are blind, it means you see yourself as blind. If all of your friends are lame, that means you see yourself as lame. Can I give some advice to all the women in the room? If you don't like his friends, eventually you're not going to like him. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Because every man is a reflection of his friends. If a man says to you, no, nah, that's just my friends, though. That ain't me. He is lying to you. His friends have just told you what he is like. If he wasn't like that, he wouldn't be hanging out with them. If he wasn't like that, he wouldn't surround himself with them. If all his friends cheat. But that ain't me, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fellas, let me give you some advice. If all her friends are toxic, if all her friends, because this was going to happen, at some point you're going to make her upset, and she's going to go talk to her friends. And they're going to be like, girl, I can't believe he did that. Leave him. When really the only reason why they're saying leave him is because they ain't got nobody no way. Uh-oh. The best thing you could do if you're single and you want to be married is go get some married friends. Don't nobody want to hear that, though. Because a married woman would say, that's all he did, really? That's it? Wow. I deal with more in a week with my husband than you. You trying to break up with somebody because of what? A married woman will look at you like, you crazy. But see, paralyzed people can't challenge paralyzed people. Broke people can't help broke people. Uh Uh-oh. And so for a lot of us, our relationships, our friendships, even the friendships you found at church, uh-oh, are more a reflection of our own toxicity and our brokenness and, and, and our self-identification than they are of where God actually wants to take us. Because here we go. Can you put the verse up for me one more time? Jesus says, do you want to get well? You got to want it. Do you want to get well? Do you want to go get a job? Do you want to walk? Because like right now, like I've got a nine-month-old, it's easier to carry it. All babies get to a certain place where they can, uh uh-oh, you can take the verse down. Come on, I need to get, I need to get, I need to do this where they can crawl better than they can walk. If you're around like an 11-month-old baby or like a 10-month-old baby, the problem is they can walk, but they can get to their destination faster if they crawl. Has anybody ever been in a season 
In order for you to be healed, it's going to mean that you're less successful. Uh-oh. There are a lot of us that the thing that is driving you to succeed is your inner insecurity. And you are successful, but you're broken inside. You're an entrepreneur, you're killing it, you're making a lot of money, but really it's because you're still trying to prove your father wrong. And you're angry inside, and you are bitter inside. And listen to me, you can put the wrong fuel in the right car, and it will get to a destination, but after a while, that car will break down. You're killing it in your 20s, you're the top sales performer in your 30s, but in your 40s, your life will begin to break down if you keep putting the fuel of I gotta prove them wrong in the tank of your soul. That stuff will kill you. And at some point, you have to decide, I can get there faster crawling, but I'm going to have to embrace discomfort and walk. Because in the long term, I cannot be a 25-year-old still crawling around everywhere. In order for me to upgrade, I have to downgrade first. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Or is your dysfunction serving you? Because the chip on your shoulder of I just got to prove them wrong, that's not healing, family. It's not healing, bro. That's not healthy. And you will make a lot of money that way, but you will make everybody around you not stand you. And they won't like you. And you will be an unhealthy person to be around. So the question is, do you want to be healed? Because for God to heal Jacob, it meant that he had to put his hip out of socket. Sometimes for God to heal you, he has to break you first. Sometimes healing is not as glamorous as we think it is. Healing is not always something that doesn't hurt. Can I tell you something, family? Healing hurts. <laughs> healing hurts. Okay, here we go. Come on, come on, come on. The, the, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? What does the man immediately say? Uh, put up, I think it's verse six or, verse 6 for me. There we go. When Jesus saw him lying there, do you want to get well? Verse 7. Here we go. Sir, the invalid replied, I have, no I have, no I have no to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. I, I need you to get this. I wish, I wish I could teleport back to Jerusalem 2,000 and some odd years ago and have a conversation with this lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Because the first thing I would say to this lame man at the pool of Bethesda is, family, you are not the only lame man in the Bible. Not only are you not the only lame man in the Bible, you're not even the only lame man that Jesus encountered. Actually, Jesus encountered another lame man that instead of deciding, instead of uh, basing all of his relational decisions off of his dysfunction and off of his paralysis, this lame man who was eligible to go sit at the pool of Bethesda as well decided, mm -mm, not me. I'm going to go get four friends who could walk. And one day those four friends heard that Jesus was healing somebody at a house and those four friends decided we gonna take our paralyzed friend to go see Jesus and those four dudes decided uh-uh we gonna take Jimmy to go see Jesus because you have a decision are you gonna go hang out at the pool that you are eligible to be at 
Or are you going to surround yourself with people who trigger you? Imagine how uncomfortable it would have been for the paralyzed man who should have been and could have been at the pool of Bethesda to instead decide, "Uh uh-uh, while they running around me, I'm just going to chill right here. While they're walking past me, I'm going to chill right here. Most of us decide the pool over the friends. Most of us decide, oh, no, 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 I fit in at the pool. Everybody at the pool looks like me. Everybody at the pool thinks like me. Everybody at the pool can identify with me. And we begin to say insecure things like this, I don't fit in with them. When you say things like, I just don't fit in with them, you're saying more about yourself than you are the them. Uh Uh-oh. This happens at church all the time. About to step on toes. I had a volunteer one time when I was a youth pastor. And she quit volunteering but wanted to have a conversation with me uh, to let me know why she was quitting. And she said, "Um, I'm quitting because nobody noticed me. She didn't know who she was talking to. Because my response was, Maybe you weren't noticeable. (laughs) How dare you leave a ministry because you're saying no one noticed you. I thought you were here to offer your help. I thought you were here to volunteer. Oh, you just chilling at the pool, but you don't want to be healed. Oh, got it. You wanted people to be something for you that you weren't willing to be for anybody else. Really? So you're here to be noticed. And I said, wait, wait, if you could leave a volunteer ministry position and nobody noticed, then that means you weren't effective at volunteering. Because the moment you left, everybody should have been like, dang, where's Sharon go? Man, all of this stuff Sharon was doing ain't getting done no more. Kids should have been crying because I also had youth leaders who left and kids had a whole nervous breakdown in the corner of the youth ministry because that person was making an impact. The question is, are are you here because you want people to see you? Or, or are you here because there's healing that you want to pass on to somebody else that you come into contact with? See, the guy, I respect this guy so much, who's paralyzed, but decides, although I'm paralyzed, I will watch my friends walk around me all day long, and I will not be triggered. I will choose to embrace relationships that challenge me, that change me. I can remember the first time I went to Chris Mills' house. I wonder if Chris Mills is streaming today. If you are Chris Mills, hello, you changed my life. Chris Mills uh, was the first person that I ever went to his house, and my man had an elevator in his house. Okay? Uh, My parents decided to send me to a college prep high school 90 minutes away from my house. So every single day, I had to catch two trains and a bus just to get to middle school and high school. Remember one day, I joined the soccer team, and Chris Mills was the captain of the soccer team, and we went to Chris Mills' house. Now, the only elevator I had seen was in the projects. Hello. I grew up in the hood, okay? 
and, and we're at Chris Mills' house. And Chris, to give you, like, to give you some kind of context, Chris Mills' house had an east wing and a west wing to his place of residence. Chris Mills drove a BMW to school his junior year in high school. The car that his daddy gave him was a B. I had a Honda, I had a Mitsubishi Galant. That was like 15 years old at the time. I had a decision to make the first time I went to Chris Mills' house. Chris Mills did not look like me. Chris Mills, I did not, re I, there was no point of, of overlap between my life and Chris Mills' life. Actually, his sister was the, was the captain of the field hockey team, and the field hockey team got stuck in her elevator one day and had it four for the whole game. Okay? Chris Mills lived 13 minutes away from the school, and so we used to always hang out at Chris Mills' house, and I had a decision to make. I can either blame Chris Mills for the life he lives that I'm not able to live, that he's able to drive in a BMW 13 minutes to this fancy high school and I gotta take two trains and a bus or I can decide to sit down with his father and ask his father what he does for a living. And so at 16 years old, I remember going to Chris Mills' house and instead of being impressed with all the stuff, I was like, can I talk to your father? And Chris Mills was like, yeah, you can talk to my father. And his dad sat me down and started talking to me about generational wealth. His father started talking to me about stocks and bonds. His dad started talking talking to me about real estate. His father started talking to me about investment because of God is showing you something. It's not to make you insecure. It's to make you get what he's showing you. And at some point, you have to get to the place of security in yourself where you begin to say, I know you're walking around me and running around me and playing around me. Can you take me to Jesus? Because I don't want to be a victim. I am not triggered. I just want to win. Can you get out of your feelings long enough? Can you get out of your feelings to actually make a decision that is rational? To begin to go, maybe I'm at this job because this manager, who I don't even like, is supposed to bless me and teach me something. Or do you not have the ability to get blessing from people who persecute you? Spiritual maturity is knowing how to get a blessing from someone who wants to persecute you. Moses' people are enslaved. Slaves. They've been slaves for 400 years. The Egyptians have oppressed them. The Egyptians have taken away their cultural identity. The Egyptians have taken away their religious identity. The, the Egyptians, the reason that the people of Israel go build a golden calf when they get out of Egypt is because they learned that from the Egyptians. So they go into Egypt fully obeying Yahweh. They come out of Egypt idolatrous. They come out of Egypt being synchronistic. They come out of Egypt being deeply influenced by the Egyptians. But God decides, I'm going to take this man Moses and I'm going to use the Egyptians to teach him how to read and write because my people are going to need Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I need this slave to be educated. So he uses the Egyptians who are oppressing them to educate one of them so that they can all get free. At some point, you are going to have to realize that although you oppress me, I will let you bless me. I'm not going to allow you to only persecute me. I will get blessing out of all of your persecution because I'm not in my feelings. I want to get well.
I want to get well. I want to get well. I want to get well. I want to get well. I may be angry in my head about the racism that you've caused me, but don't get it twisted. I will sit down with you and I will steal all of your knowledge because I will not be in my feelings. I want to get well. I want to be healed. I can't be healed if I stay angry my whole life. I get it. They hurt you. I get it. They molested you. I get it. They abused you. I understand. But can I tell you something? Maybe they also blessed you. Remember sitting down with my therapist for the first time, complaining about my father. Said my father was a drug addict, but really my dad's real issue was his words. My dad would tell me he'd be at a basketball game. He had lied to me a hundred times before, but he was so hypnotic with his words, I would believe him every time. My dad was manipulative, could talk his way into anything, talk his way out of anything, could talk his way out of going to jail. I mean, my dad would do illegal stuff. And my dad wasn't saved, okay? Don't judge me. But dad took me to a crack house when I was five years old. He said, if you're looking at someone who came out of dysfunction, baby, I'm your poster child. I remember talking to my therapist about the words that my dad used towards me and my mom, and that those words stuck with me, that those words, I would never forget them, that I could never forgive. And I remember my therapist saying, uh, it sounds like your dad left you with a powerful set of gifts. I remember being upset at the therapist. How dare you tell me my father left me with gifts? Took me to a crack house when I was five years old. Are you kidding me? My dad only left me with dysfunction. My dad left me with a generational curse. And more than that, he left me with all these words that have plagued me, these words that have, have, have burrowed into my soul and caused dysfunction and insecurity. The therapist said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher. The therapist, sounds, the therapist said, then it sounds like your superpower are your words. It sounds like you can talk people into anything, talk people out of anything. It sounds like your father blessed you. It sounds like what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it around for your good. It sounds like your father, who you hate, is the very source of the anointing that's on your life. It sounds like your abuser is the person who blessed you. It sounds like... Like God is able to redeem anything. That's what it sounds like. And it is impossible. It is impossible to love the fruit and hate the seed. It is impossible to love the fruit and hate the seed. For some of us, you are insecure to this day because you hate your father, you hate your mother. And every time you look in the mirror, you see her. And every time you look in the mirror, you see him. And the reason you can't love yourself is because you've never forgiven the thing that produced you. And today is the day God is asking you, do you want to get well? Or do you want to get even? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to get a perspective that's going to make you uncomfortable, but ultimately it's going to be for your good? Do you want to be healed? This is a huge question. 
essentially the therapist looked at me and was like, now, I mean, you can sit here and vent to me week after week about your father and how he did you wrong and how he was a crackhead and how he was this and how he was that and how he said this and how he said that and how he made promises and how he didn't come through. Or you can sit here and you can allow me to challenge you so that you can get well. Jesus asked a very, very important question. Do you want to get well? And you, I love this because the only thing necessary was a yes or no answer. Yes, no. This man does not have a yes or no answer. He's got, well, what had happened was every time the water is stirred, I try to get in. You know, broken people always have a story. Victims will always tell you some really sad story. And this would happen all the time in youth group. You know, a kid would come and talk to a youth leader, and the youth leader would say, sounds like you need to forgive your father. And the kid would get upset, come to me, I need a new youth leader. <laughs> you know, we'd switch them, give them a new youth leader, and second youth leader, who's also smart, would be like, well, you know, sounds like you need to forgive your father. Kid would come back, I need a new youth leader. Finally, they'd get a third youth leader, and because that third youth leader wasn't completely healed yet, uh-oh, that youth leader needed to be needed. So the moment the kid began to talk about their sad story, now the youth leader feels bad for the kid, and now we have a relationship out of dysfunction. Because the relationship didn't base out of healing, the relationship started with a sad story. You better be careful who RSVPs to your pity party. Ooh. Anybody, anybody who RSVPs to your pity party is not there for you to get well. They're there because they're attracted to your level of insecurity and your level of toxicity and your level of dysfunction. And we only talk about soul ties that come out of sex. But do you know that you can have a soul tie just based on a conversation and a relational experience that you have with someone who shares your identical brokenness? Because if you're at the pool long enough, you start talking talking to the paralyzed person to your right and you start talking to the paralyzed person to your left and what does the paralyzed man say? I have no one to help me. Well, go figure. Of course you have no one to help you. You've based all your relationships around the fact that you ain't got no daddy too? Well, me neither. Oh, you were molested? Me too. So now all of your relationships is essentially two blind people trying to help each other cross the street. Uh-oh. Some of you are sitting in marriages right now. You started dating because you fit each other's dysfunction. And at some point, God is not going to ask you, do you singular want to be healed? He's going to ask you both. Do you both want to be healed? Because the only reason you get along right now is because that person was the anesthesia to your pain. And at some point, you're going to have to get off of the pain medication and deal with the pain of life so that you can actually choose to be healed. Do you want to be well? The man has this whole story. This whole excuse for what's happened. But then get this. 
What does Jesus say? Jesus says, get up. Jesus is so rude. How dare Jesus say, get up to someone who's paralyzed? Has Jesus ever told you to do something that is totally outside of the realm of possibility for you? Has Jesus, I remember doing my devotions in the middle of me and my wife struggling with infertility. And of course, I go right to Genesis where it says, be fruitful and multiply. I got so angry. How dare God's first commandment be, get, be fruitful and multiply. And I'm sitting here unable to be fruitful and unable to multiply. Can I tell you what God revealed to me in that moment? He will never give you a commandment that he will not empower you to obey. The only time God can give you a test is when he's been the teacher first. So God will always empower you to do the exact thing that he's given you the commandment to do. Now let's back up a second. I want to I challenge your theology. Because if I got up here and started telling you, you don't need nobody but Jesus, everybody would say amen. But can I tell you that's theologically inaccurate? When the man says, I have no one, that's a lot of us in this room. Your insecurity and your dysfunction has caused you to isolate so much that you now have no one to help you. You were not designed to do life by yourself. You were not designed to do life in solitary confinement. You put a human in solitary confinement long enough, they will go crazy. What are all the announcements that we made today? Married couples ministry, June 10th, hello. Men's ministry. It's one thing to get in this room but if you decide, no, nah, I'm not going to go to none of the events, I'm not going to go to the women's ministry stuff, I'm not going to go to the men's ministry stuff, I'm not going to go to the marriage ministry stuff, it just means you want to come in here and feel good in a moment. But you will not have anyone to actually help you. We can teach all day long, all you need is Jesus. But guess what? Adam had God. Adam and God had a one-on-one -on -one relationship. In the garden, no other humans besides God and Adam. And what did God say? This is not good. Amen. Too much isolation with God ain't good. Amen. Don't act like you ain't never been around a weird Christian. <laughs> Who them and God get along just great. But they don't get along with no other humans. It's like, I believe you have a good relationship with God. You got the weirdness to prove it. It's you and other people that have a problem. And you want to know what God says is the biggest proof of spiritual maturity? Your relationship choices. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the next commandment is the same. To what? Love your neighbor as yourself. God says, you can't even prove that you love me until you love other people. Relational maturity. I have no one to help me in the pool. Of course you don't got no one. You've surrounded yourself with people who have the same problem you got. Well, I feel comfortable with them. Exactly. We get along precisely. The more you talk, the more you keep telling on yourself. We just got so much in common. Exactly. Yeah, you have a lot in common. Yep. 
And the enemy knows y'all got a lot in common too. And that is precisely why the enemy has put that person in your life. Because the enemy knew you would not discern that that is not a relationship that is going to lead you to destiny. That is a relationship that is going to keep you paralyzed on your mat at a pool as a victim for 38 years of your life. Relational maturity is spiritual maturity. I need to make sure I'm making myself clear. Relational maturity is spiritual maturity. You cannot say, well, I praise and I speak in tongues. What does Paul say? You can speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but if you don't love human beings, you are a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You cannot claim to love God without loving other people. It is impossible. What does Paul, what does John say? He says, hey, hey, you say you obey God. How about you obey some pastors? Because the test is not about how you relate to God. Most of us, of course it's easy to relate to God. He's got unconditional love for you. He's forgiving, full of joy, full of peace. The problem is relating to your spouse. Of course you can relate to God good. He's awesome. We have this theology. Here we go. I'm going to step on your toes again. Can I? Uh-oh. There we go. Come on. I need you. Come on. Can I step on your toes? You don't got no haters. Just stop that. Just stop that. You ain't got no haters. You ain't famous. Don't nobody know you. Are you joking? Haters? You are anonymous. What are you talking about? All my haters. You ain't got no haters. No, nah, that person was just telling you the truth. I just got so many haters. <laughs> really? Wow. That must, that must be a tough life to have all these haters. No, you don't got haters. Can I tell you what you got? You wandered away from the pool. You got around some people who could walk. And they triggered your insecurities. And the only vocabulary you have is they hating on me. Nah, they not hating on you. You showed up late for your job. <laughs> and they fired you. Your manager's not a hater. They just trying to keep me down. Nah, you was late. You was late. That's... The uniform wasn't ironed like you was late. You unprofessional. I got haters. No. You got life. You got responsibilities. To all the millennials in the room, can I tell you a word that we need to remove from our vocabulary? Adulting. There's no such thing as adulting. That's not a word. The only word, the word that you meant is denial. You're in denial. You became an adult. You adulted. The date came and went. Your mentality is still childish. That's called immaturity. That's not adulting. It's not cute. It's not funny. You put it on social media. It means that anyone who would want to hire you just goes, eh, never mind. You're still adulting. Why would I hire someone who's still adulting? 
Why would I give responsibility to someone who's still adulting? You adulted. You adulted all to, uh, five years ago for most of us, seven, eight years ago. You adulted, and you are in denial. Sick and tired of being in meetings like, well, we got to talk about the millennials. I'm like, the millennials? We're almost 40. <laughs> millennials? How are we going to get the millennials? I was like, the millennials are adults. Adults in denial about being adults. We've grown. With mortgages and kids grown. You got a kid still talking about adulting. Adulting is hard. What? You got a whole school loan talking about adulting. Nah, you adulted. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to leave the pool. It's time to change your relationships. And if there are people around you who are also trying to do the adulting thing, just go over to some people who are already walking. How about you hang out with people who have accepted the fact that they are adults? Don't hang out with millennials who are also adulting. Hang out with the ones who have accepted the fact that they are adults and handle their responsibilities. One last thing, I'm going to wrap this up. The Holy Spirit talking to anybody today? Anybody. Is the Holy Ghost talking to anybody today? Okay, get this. There are hundreds of miracles in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus healing people. You want to know 99.9% .9 of the time, Jesus touches the person he's healing. He'll either lay hands. At one point, he's spitting some dirt, made some mud, but he still what? Made physical contact with the person. This is one of the only times where Jesus does not touch this man. Because you want to know what most of us want? Most of us are paralyzed on our mat and Jesus is saying, get up. And you want to know what we want? We want him to get down. We want a Jesus to cuddle up next to us and be like, oh yeah, it's hard down here. I know how you feel. Come on. And we preach about the compassionate, loving, merciful God, and those are all true. But sometimes his compassion is in not getting into your dysfunction, but demanding that you get up out of what's keeping you down. You want to know what I want to preach to you today? You've been stuck in depression. Can I tell you what God wants you to do? Get up. You've been stuck in anxiety? Do you want to know a simple message from God today? Get up. You've been stuck in confusion? Get up. You've been stuck in a generational cycle of dysfunction? Get up. But it's not that simple. Yes, it is. You are making a choice to refuse to get up. And a decision to not do something is a decision. Jesus says, get up. I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to help you. 
I'm not going to do nothing. And this is the supernatural part of the story. At some point, the man put away his excuses, put away his identification as a victim. The man at some point decided, I'm done with my sad story. I'm done with my sob story. And the man decided, I don't have anything to lose. So I may as well just try to do the impossible. And the man tried to get up. And that's when God adds his super to your natural you think you've been waiting on God God's been waiting on you to make a move and the moment the man starts to try that's when Jesus says I can add my power to that I can add my miracle to that I cannot do anything until you first try to get up I need you to get up what have you been stuck in get up What have you been defined by? Get up. Today is the day for you to get up. We have a promise from God. The moment the man tried, he didn't heal himself. God was like, okay, I see you trying. For a lot of us, you're not even trying. You're just blaming and sad and you're a victim and God's like whoa I can't heal you until you first decide I have to identify as someone who is healed before I can ever be healed I asked the Holy Spirit this question why would you tell this lame man to get up Ooh, I need you to get this why would you tell this paralyzed man to get up when he's paralyzed. And the Holy Spirit said back to me, because I never saw him as paralyzed. Why would you tell a lame man to get up when walking is impossible for lame people? And God said, I told him to get up because I never saw him as lame. I never saw him as paralyzed. For a lot of us, you see yourself as a victim, but God has never seen you as a victim. You place limitations on yourself about what a woman can do or what a black person can do. And God says, the only thing I see is a daughter of God, is a son of God. I don't see you according to your sin or according to your past or according to your dysfunction. I see you according to my glory and my identity on your life. Why can God tell you to get up because it's already in you from the foundations of the earth. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are more than you think you are. You are more than a conqueror. You are the head and not the tail. You are above only and never beneath you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength you are an overcomer you are a champion you are a winner I don't know what the enemy has declared over your life but the devil is a liar you are not confused we declare clarity over your life you are not immature we declare maturity over your life we are not going to agree with what society or stereotypes or the enemy has declared over your life. Anybody in the room today saying, you know what? I am who God says I am. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. God doesn't see me as broken. God doesn't see me as used up. 
my latter will be greater than my former. God doesn't see me as used goods. Somebody in the room right now, you think your best days are behind you. Can I tell you, we rebuke guilt off of your life. In the name of Jesus, we declare right now, the grace of God is on you. The mat you've laid on does not define you. The brokenness that you've been in does not define you. Your relationships are about to change. Come on, your perspective is about to change. Your mind is going to change. We declare over your life, you are empowered on this Sunday to get up. Get up out of your grave. Get up out of your brokenness. Get up out of your excuses. We declare over you right now from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. You are a man of integrity. You are a man of valor. You are a prayer warrior. Oh yes, you are everything that God has said you are. We believe with heaven. I had to believe I was a dad before I could have kids. Doctor said I was infertile, and I remember looking in the mirror and saying, I am a father. I am a father. I am a father. Not I will be. I am a father. It was done. Jesus said it is finished 2,000 years ago. I'm just waiting for time to catch up to what God has already said. I am everything that God has said I am. I'm wealthy. I'm blessed. I'm an overcomer. I'm healed. Come on. I am everything that God says I am. I may be on this mat. I'm not paralyzed. Just waiting for God to come through and heal me. Don't let this mat confuse you. I'm not paralyzed. Jesus comes through and says, get up. The faith, we always talk about faith in God. What about the faith God has in you? Looks at you and says, get on up. It's in you. Stop letting other people tell you what you can and can't do. Get up. Get up and be healed. Get up and be well. Get up and be whole. No, I'm waiting to be married to be whole. You're whole right now. You are whole right now. Broken people don't find other broken people to be whole. No, a whole person gets to another whole person and they create a whole family. You do not need another broken person to be the broken piece to your puzzle. You are not broken. There's nothing broken in you or incomplete in you. Your life doesn't start when you get married. That is a lie from the enemy. You are whole right now. You are whole right now. Now, I fussed at all the millennials. Here we go. You can sit down. We got business. I fussed at all the millennials. Came here with a decision this Sunday that that the Orangos are giving $10,000 towards Victory Park. Because millennials need to give. We are adults. And I'm going to say what my dad has not said. The largest gifts have come from older generations. Pledge cards, gifts towards our permanent location. Do you know what property means for a church? Property is everything for a church. It means that a church is able to put down roots. It means that gentrification can't move the church. You know what a black, when black freed, slaved, enslaved people came out of slavery, they built two things, schools and churches built them with their hands 
What a church building means for black communities is everything. Gen X has given, boomers have given, every generation of our church has given to Victory Park and millennials have not. We are not adulting. We are adults. We have kids, we own homes. So here we go. I need 25 millennials who are going to pledge $10,000 to Victory Park. I need pledge cards. We need pledge cards all over the room. I am giving. I, my goal is to raise quarter of a million dollars in pledges today. If you are a millennial and you're saying, you know what, me and my wife or me as a single person, I am going to pledge $10,000 to this church. Is my math right? If 25 of us do this, that's a quarter of a million dollars. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm a theologian, not a mathematician. If you're saying, you know what, Pastor Manny, I'm a millennial and I believe in what we're doing. I will pledge $10,000 to this, to, this, to this building. Go ahead, stand up right now. Stand up right now, wherever you are. I see you. Here we go. I see you. Stand up right now. We need millennials to give. One, two, three, four. Come on, stand up. Right where you are, I see you. Wherever you are. Do we have physical cards? Physical pledge cards? Grab a card. And if you're standing, that means your family's giving. We're gonna wait on some millennials because we gonna we we are gonna we, millennials are gonna give. We're a generation, and hear me. Why can Jesus say to a paralyzed man, "Get up"? Because he did not see him as lame. Yes, I'm not giving because I have it. I'm giving because I know that God sees me as wealthy. I'm not pledging because of what I have in the bank right now. No. I'm pledging because God does not see me as broke. God sees me as wealthy. If you're a millennial, you're in the room, you need a pledge card, go ahead, stand right on up. I see you. I see you. First woman to stand up. Come on, sister. not a millennial but you're like I'm gonna give 10 grand we're gonna get in this building we're gonna build a permanent location stand to your feet if you're in Gen Z if you're younger than a millennial and you're like you know what I'm not I'm not a millennial but we're gonna get in this building I'm not going to allow a building that one generation is not even going to enjoy to be paid for by people that are not even gonna be in it as long as me not gonna let somebody in their 60s pay for something that they're only gonna see for 30 years when I'm gonna be in this building for the rest of my for the rest of my spiritual life. I need a pledge card. I need a card. The Orangos are giving today. The Orangos are giving 10 grand today. I lost count. give you a couple more minutes to stand up. We are, ra we are raising an offering, old-fashioned. Don't act like you ain't never been to a church. 
that'll be like, we didn't raise enough. We gonna do it again. Be gangster today. I'm flying back to Texas after this. It's fine. We're gonna be gangster today. I love this church. And every single time our pastor talks about the vision of what we're doing and where we're going, I believe in it. I believe in it so much that I'll give to it. Appreciate you. Here we go. If you represent an older generation that's already pledged 10 grand or more, stand to your feet. If you represent an older generation and you've already pledged 10 grand or more, go ahead, stand to your feet. I'm going to bless you. We're going to pray for you. Come on. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. We honor you. Come on. There are millennials online that are pledging. Okay. If you're a millennial online and you're pledging, say, drop 10K. Say 10K on the, in the chat. If you're a millennial online and you're pledging, say 10K. 10K in the chat. I want to pray for you. Two. Two in the chat. There we go. Now, three in the chat. Awesome. Awesome. If you're online and you're like, I'm a millennial, I'm giving. Ten grand or more. Just drop 10K in the chat. Now, do not make a pledge and then not do it. It would be better for you to not promise anything to the Lord than to promise something to the Lord and then break covenant with him. It would, I respect you more if you keep your seat, then stand up, take a pledge card, and then don't do anything. And delayed obedience is disobedience. I see Joey in the back. You can give me a thumbs up. There, you can set it up on payment plan. Yes, yes, Joey's nodding at me. If you take a pledge card, can I challenge you? Can you start whatever the payment plan is? Start it today. It's the top of the month. We are going to Victory Park. We are going to Victory Park. We are going to build this building, and we're not going to allow the owner of a building to dictate what our rent is. That's ridiculous. We're going to a permanent space. Come on, let's pray over every giver. Also, if you just want to give towards Victory Park, you're saying, Pastor Manny, I can't give 10 grand. Like, it's just not feasible right now. But I'm going to give today. And I'm specifically going to give towards the building. Stand up right now, wherever you are. I'm just going to give. I'm giving towards the building. I'm giving because I want to see what God is going to do. I'm just going to give any amount. Go ahead, stand up. Stand up. Wherever you are, stand up. We're giving towards the building. You're giving towards the building. We're going to take up our second offering. It's going all towards the building. If you need a pledge card, wave at somebody. If you need an offer an envelope, wave at somebody. Go ahead, wave. If you need an offer an envelope, go ahead, wave. Go ahead, wave. These guys in blue, they want to serve you. Go ahead, wave. Go ahead, wave. They'll get to you. If you're giving, if you're giving in the second offering towards Victory Park, for any amount, go ahead, wave. Wave at the guys in blue. They'll get to you. They'll get to you. Pastor starting a sermon series soon on finances. Oh, yeah, that's what I can tell you. I'm preaching live here on Wednesday. Right, Pastor Tony? Wednesday service is happening live, right? This Wednesday. It's, no, it's not live. Don't invite anyone into this building. 
do not come here on Wednesday. You better not come here on Wednesday. You are not allowed to come here on Wednesday. But I will be preaching on the screens, on the video, to the cameras. Awesome. There we go. How's gonna? There we go. Everybody has an offering envelope that needs one? Does everybody have an offering envelope that needs one? Does everybody have a pledge card that needs one? Come on. Let's pray. Come on, hold up your pledge card. Hold up your offering envelope. God, we thank you. We thank you. We didn't just come here today to receive. We came to give. And we believe, we believe that property is our inheritance. We do not just believe that spiritually. We believe that physically. I know what it feels like to be a, the first homeowner in my family. Know what it feels like to break generational curses of poverty off of my family. I declare for the Arangos and for every other family represented that God, we will not just be property owners in terms of a church, but we will own property all over the Triangle area. That Lord God, that the, that the most real estate in the Triangle will be owned by black folks in this church. We declare right now that districts that were redlined to keep us out, we declare right now that walls of Jericho are going to fall. We declare that we are gonna buy a property that was used to keep our people enslaved and persecuted. We're gonna own property so that we can start businesses in our community, so that we can be entrepreneurs in our community. God, we thank you right now in Jesus' name that as we put you first, as we make you the main thing, that God is going to break a curse off of our family and off our life. God, what we're doing in this moment is insanely spiritual. We're giving you the first so that a curse can be broken off of me and us and everything that touches us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say together, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. The buckets can pass. There's sign-ups in the lobby for men's ministry, sign up in the live for married couples ministry. If you're married in the room, go ahead, wave at me. If you're married in the room, go ahead, wave at me. If you're married, you need to be at date night on June 10th, June 10th. Guess what? Getting out of this pool, totally for married people. There's sometimes you can be arguing with your spouse so long, guess what you need? You need stronger couples to be around you, to mentor you, to love on you, to teach you how to argue well. Come on, as the buckets pass, let's stay, let's stay seated as the buckets pass. As soon as the buckets pass, I'm gonna pray a prayer of benediction over you. Did the Lord speak to you today in church? Come on, did the Lord speak to you today in church? Amen, amen. It's good to be home, good to be home. It's, it's always good to be home. I think I'm back on June 12th, I think. No, you don't, mom don't know. And I'm just, I'm throwing out numbers, you know. Yeah, it's June 12th. I think me and dad, yeah, not. <laughs> Amen, mom. Come on, let's pray. God, I think all the buckets are out. Are the buckets out? Give me a thumbs up if the buckets are out. No. Officer Burwell, the buckets out? Yes? No, they're not out yet. Okay. Oh, dope. At the altar? If you're a millennial in the room and you've pledged today, would you stand? I'd like to pray a word over you.
It will not be long. We're going to get out of here. If you are a millennial in the room, if you're a millennial in the room, you have children, would you stand? I want to just pray over you and your children. Because this Victory Park is not about pastor or I. It's not about us Xers or boomers. Um, it, it's about the legacy that we leave and what we're leaving our children. So for all of you that have pledged, the thing with the man at the pool is that I preached that in Australia in 2015, the year I went to Israel and saw the pool myself. And the Lord spoke to me, and it was in numbers, although I'm not a mathematician either, is that he had 38 years to get it right. Every day it says he went to the pool for 38 years, 365 days of the year. I don't know math that well, but I did the numbers and he had something like 30,000 or 40,000 days. Just do 38 times 365. That's how many days he got up and made a decision. But that one day, When Jesus said, get up. I wish this message was called, get up. When Jesus said, get up, it was like this moment. $10,000 is a lot of money. Even spread over time, it's a lot of money. But see, it's not about the money. It's what did you hear? Did you get up? And it's about the legacy that you are all leaving for your children and your seed. And so I want to bless you. Father, I pray for these men and women who have decided to get up. Lord, that are putting the spiritual and legacy and kingdom above a dollar. Lord, we know that money means nothing to you or the enemy. It only means something to us as human beings because we said it meant something. And so, Lord, today as they step out, we know that when they leave this building, when they go home, they'll celebrate what they've done. And then tomorrow the enemy will meet them in the bathroom. And so we say, protect their minds, Lord. Remind them of this moment. Show it to them in their dreams where they got up. We pray this, Lord God, for the seed that they birthed into the earth. We pray this, Lord God, over the legacy that they are personally leaving, the curse-breaking legacy. God, we know that you're bigger than all of this. This is really for us human beings that don't quite get it in the spiritual realm. So God, I say anoint them as they leave this building. May this moment go with them the spirit in this room, may it go with those that have decided to get up. May it meet them in the car, the strength of this moment. May it meet them when they lie down the, tonight, the strength of this moment. And Lord, when they rise up tomorrow morning, may you be right there ministering this moment to them. Don't let it die. We pray, Father God, for a strength like they've never known mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And Lord, may the anointing of the Holy Ghost heal them spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. 
not just for them, but for their seed, Lord, because there's a healing that needs to happen in all of our children that's so deeply embedded in the roots and the fibers of our families, Lord God. May it begin with us. And so, Lord, I bless them. I bless the worker of their hands, Lord God. I bless every place their feet set. May they take territory. I bless everything that they read, Lord God. I bless everything that they hear that is attached to this moment. I bless their homes where there's chaos, bring peace. I bless their jobs, Lord God. Give them authority on their jobs, Lord. I bless their bank accounts, Lord. Don't just multiply them financially, multiply them spiritually. Because only then, Lord, when these moments come around again, will this generation and the generations to follow get up as quick as that man at the pool when money means nothing and their sickness is behind them. But when the Lord speaks, they get up because they know that the Lord has spoken. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for Pastor Manny. Lord, I've personally witnessed the hard work that this man does. Thank you for his life. Thank you for Theophilus. Thank you for Tia, who stands by his side with such love and strength. Bless the Arango family. Multiply them. Thank you for more children. Thank you, can you, can you agree with that? Thank you for more children. Strengthen your people, Lord God. All of us that were under this word today, all of us that are world overcomers, those that are online listening, those that are online watching, bless every person online that got up this morning. Go with us, Lord God. And as we go, Lord God, we will remember this moment when we got up. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and may the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may the Lord give you peace. May the Lord give you peace. May the Lord give you peace. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen, amen. God bless you all. Be blessed.